It is a great blessing to be here, Pastor, and thank you for the uh, invitation. In uh, fact, for me, uh, it's a great blessing to be anywhere in the world, amen? Uh, several months ago, I, w I was in a church in Michigan, Lewis Avenue Baptist Church, <clears throat> and uh, we had uh, dinner in the basement, the missionaries and pastoral staff and so forth. And as we were coming up the stairs to go to the auditorium, as, as I was, uh, there was a beautiful little girl standing at the top of the stairs. And she looked at me and she said, Sir, you look old. And I said, Well, hon, the reason I look old is because I am old, okay? Now, uh, a, a few months after that, I was in... Uh, uh, Wilson, North Carolina, with Brother Joseph Curry and his wife. We were eating lunch, and she was from uh, Herndon, Virginia. And that's a church I go to every year for several years. And uh, during the midst of the lunch, she said, Brother Tiff, I remember you coming to our church when I was a little girl, and I hear that constantly. And she said, you were old then, Okay. <laughs> And I told her, I said, well, I got old real early. So I, I've been old for a long time, <laughs> okay? But it's a blessing to be here. Uh, let, let me give you a definition for a mission conference. Uh, I didn't originate this. I don't know who I stole it from, okay? But, but it, it's a great definition. Here's the, mission, here's the definition of a mission conference. A mission conference is a local church in business meeting, deciding the fate of the heathen. Now think about that. A local church, and that's God's means of getting the gospel around the world. A local church in business meeting. So uh, uh, this week is a business meeting for Rise Baptist Church. And what you do with what you hear and what you see will determine whether some people get to hear the gospel, have an opportunity to crush Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, or whether they live all their life and never hear the gospel. So what you hear, what you do with what you hear, and what you see this week will make all the difference in the world. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and uh, my subject tonight is this. Now, I want you to listen to it very carefully, okay? History's greatest summit meeting. History's greatest summit meeting. Now, uh, don't do it while I'm preaching tonight, but uh, maybe tonight when you get home, Google just the words summit meeting. And, and when you do, you will find some very interesting summit meetings. Now, I'm not going to mention a lot of them tonight, but uh, let me tell you, tell you two that you know about. Uh, you've studied history, then you know about these. At the end of World War I in 1918, a group of leaders from all over the world got together, and they formed what they call the League of Nations. And they assured us 
that there would never be another war. We're all going to work together. We're going to have utopia here on the earth. All wars are over. There's never been a day since 1918 that there hadn't been a war somewhere. Now again, after World War II in 1945, now contrary to some of your thinking, I wasn't here in 1918, okay? But I was here in 1945. 1945, after World War II, they formed what they call the United Nations. In other words, all the nations now are united. And we're going to have peace and we're going to help each other and so on and so forth. To my knowledge, the United Nations has not done anything worthwhile. But tonight we're going to talk about a meeting much greater than the League of Nations. A summit meeting much better than when the United Nations was formed. Look in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, if you read all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke particularly, okay, uh, you, you'll find different, some differences in the, the writings, and that's very natural, okay? But in uh, Matthew chapter 28, uh, some of the ladies decided that uh, they would go and anoint the body of Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm not real sure why they decided to do that. After all, I think Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus probably anointed the body of Jesus. You know, they, they, they probably did that. Okay, But... Uh, Evidently, these women got together and decided men can't do anything right. Uh, so, so we're going to do it right. Uh, now, now here, uh, Matthew mentions Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. If you read in uh, Luke chapter 23, uh, he mentions Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and other women. So evidently, there were several of the ladies. And by the way, many of them had followed Jesus for many, many years. And they went to anoint the body. Uh, as they were going, they had a problem. How are we going to roll away that big stone at the mouth of the tomb? you've ever been to Israel, gone to the tombs where they say Jesus was buried, uh, you, you can imagine that huge stone. But when they got there, guess what? The stone had been rolled away. They were amazed. They did, they did not know what to think about. They looked in the tomb and nobody was there. I never will forget being there and having a Jewish guide. And uh, he said, now there's a controversy, whether it is the garden tomb or whether the church of the Mecca conception. 
which of the tombs Jesus is buried in. But I, I like this. He said, but it doesn't make any difference. He's not in either one of them, amen. <laughs> That's a Jewish guy. And thank God he wasn't. But notice, after they had seen the stone rolled away, realized that Jesus was not there. Look at verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Look at, that's where he used to be. He's not there anymore. So he said, come see the place where he lay. Then look at verse 7. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you, now watch this, into Galilee, there shall you see him, for lo, I have told you. So the angel said to these ladies, go tell Jesus' disciples to meet him in Galilee. Look verse 17. Go quickly. Tell his disciples. Disciples, that's you. That's me. We're his disciples now. He said, go tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall you see him. For I've told you. They departed quickly from the sepulchre with great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. Now watch it. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. They came and helped him by his feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren. Who's his brother? The disciples. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they meet me. So, this was a planned summit meeting. Jesus said, go tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. Now look over in verse 16. And in verse 16, we find the gathering of this great summit meeting. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed him. Think about this great gathering. Great gathering, number one. It was not great because of the size of the number of people that were there. Uh, we really don't know how many were there. We know that the 11 were there. Judas, of course, had already committed suicide. We know that the 11 were there. 
if you happen to have our Loretta Schofield Bible, then C.I. Schofield believes that this is where the 500 were at one time, as is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So uh, it, it was not great because of the number. It was great, a great summit meeting because of who was there. Who was it? Jesus. Jesus. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. God omnipotent. He was there. Thank God anywhere Jesus is, it's a great meeting. Guess what? He's here tonight. Arise, Baptist Church. Where the two are gathered, gathered together in my name. There shall I be in their midst. So he is here with us tonight. So it was a great meeting because of who was there. It was a great meeting because of the purpose of the meeting. Uh, why did Jesus want to meet them in Galilee? You remember the very last words that Jesus said just before he died? It is finished. Greek, tetelestai. Everything that needs to be done in order for mankind to be saved has been done. Now Jesus is meeting with his disciples and he emphasizes them. Now I've done everything that needs to be done in order for mankind to be saved. Now, I want you to realize that you, and by the way, that means you, that means you, that means you, that means you, that means me. I want you to know that you have the great opportunity and the great responsibility to get this message to a lost and dying world. Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Hey, church, you have a big job. You have a big job. By the way, it was not only great because of the purpose of the meeting. Now, League of Nations, they had a good purpose. United Nations, they had a good purpose. They just didn't have the power to make that work. But thank God it was a great meeting. Because we look back 21 centuries and we see all over the world hundreds of thousands of churches that are preaching the gospel. You see, when those disciples left there, they went everywhere preaching the word. They started churches. Because of that small beginning, hundreds of thousands of churches all over the world. By the way, 
because of what they did, those early believers. Great schools have been started everywhere. Have you ever noticed? Liberals, they don't start schools. They steal them. Huh? All the Ivy League schools, they were all started by great Christians. Little by little, the liberals killed them. You think about it. It was a great meeting. Because of them, orphanages have been established all over the world. We have seven different missionaries with BIMI that have started orphanages. Now, you know, they do a lot of other things, but one of the things they've done is start orphanages. Uh, they built hospitals. You just think, of all the great things that's been done, because these early disciples met Jesus, and when they did, he told them what he wanted done, and guess what? They did it. There's no real value in us knowing what needs to be done if we're not going to do it, amen? So it was a great gathering. But notice in verse 18, a great proclamation. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Wow. Could I submit to you tonight? That is a unique statement. No other man that ever lived on the face of the earth. Now, a lot of them have made statements like that. They've told the world how great they are. But none of them could make this statement and be true. All authority, all power. I have power over nature. I have power over the demons. I have power over sin. It doesn't matter what it is. All power is given unto me. And by the way, if verse 18 was not true, verses 19 and 20 would be a literal impossibility. But because it is true, verses 19 and 20 are not only a possibility, thank God it is a reality. Souls have been saved. Lives have been changed. Churches have been started. Schools have been established. Orphanage. Why? Because of that great gathering on Galilee. Look at the end of verse 20. Now, don't get too excited. That doesn't mean we're over, okay? We'll come back to 19 and 20 in a minute. But look at, the, at verse 19. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Isn't that great? Jesus said, now, I know it's a big job. 
Uh, I know in your own strength it would be an impossibility. But I want you to know something. Lo, I am with you, even unto the end of the world. Think about that. Jesus said before he left, I'll send you another comforter, and he will be with you, and he will be in you. You say, well, Portland's a very difficult place. And, and it is. Ethiopia is a very difficult place. Korea is a very difficult place. Hey, by the way, Houston is a very difficult place. Huh? But isn't it wonderful that we have the promise, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. So it doesn't matter where God tells you to go. When you get there, he'll already be there. Amen. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I think of it this often. Now, I never preach without I realize it. Just a few days before Jesus was crucified, buried, resurrected from the grave. They were on their way to Jerusalem. They, they passed through a grape orchard. And uh, read John chapter 15. Great, great chapter. And Jesus used that grape orchard to teach them a lesson. He said, uh, I'm the vine. You're the branch. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And then he said, without me, you can't do very much. Is that what your Bible says? If it does, you've got a real bad translation, amen. No, what did he say? Without me, you can do Zip. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. You know, very simple. Okay. Break a branch off of the vine. And that branch is absolutely, totally useless. Without me, you can do nothing. So many times we ask ourselves the question, what can I do for God? And the bottom line is, <laughs> I can do a lot for God's work, but I can't do anything for God. He doesn't need me to do anything for him. And once we learn this, it can change our life. It's not a matter of what I can do for God. It's a matter of what God can do through me. I'm divine. You're the branch. Okay? It's the vine that produces everything. It's the vine that sustains the branches. It's the vine that gives them the ability 
to produce grapes. So we are totally dependent on him. But thank God, he has promised, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. Think about it. When I am involved in trying to fulfill the Great Commission, I am working with omnipotence. Remember what Paul said, Philippians? I can do all things. Hey, by the way, if he'd have stopped there, he'd have been the biggest egotist in the world. Bigger than a lot of the egotists that we know today, amen. No. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Lord, I'm with you always, even. That's the reason that Paul could make a statement like this. And he, he said, I'm, I'm pulled between two things. Be far better for me to depart from here and be with the Lord. By the way, he had already seen heaven. He couldn't wait to get back there. Amen. But he said, but for your sakes, it's better for me to stay. And then he made a statement. For me to live is Christ. That's a great statement. For me to live is to make money. And to die is to lose it all. For me to live is to become famous. And to die is to become unknown. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Think about it. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and died for me. Brother Nathan, you can't do great things in Portland, but God can do great things for you. Brother Will, God has done great things through you here in Houston, Texas. And I, I, I look over uh, 67 years of preaching and realize that I am nothing. I could do nothing except Christ liveth in me. Christ in you. That's what gets the job done. Now let's spend a little bit of time on the Great Commission. Look at it. Let's just take it step by step, okay? By the way, the Great Commission is the Great Commission. It's not a good idea. It is not optional. If we're going to be the kind of church that we need to be, it is an absolute 
command from our commanding officer, Jesus Christ. What does he want Arise Baptist Church to do? Look in verse 19. Go you therefore and teach all nations. The word nations there comes from the word ethnos. It's not just uh, 200 and something nations, but it's every ethnic group. God doesn't want to leave anybody out. Go therefore and teach all nations. Uh, the word teach there literally means go to all ethnic groups all over the world and what? Make disciples. Question. How do you make a disciple? Uh, Jesus has commanded, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, make disciples. Of all nations. How do you make disciples? Number one, you make disciples by winning people to the Lord. Uh, so, sometimes churches can get hung up on a lot of things. But I tell you what, you cannot overemphasize the need of evangelizing your area. Go you therefore and make disciples. You make disciples by number one, getting people saved. By the way, before they can ever get saved, they got to know they're lost. They got to know they can't save themselves. They've got to know that Jesus died for their... And that's the message that arrives Baptist Church. It's giving to this area. How do you make disciples? Go you therefore and teach on us baptizing them. Somebody said to me not long ago, now why do you Baptists put so much emphasis on baptism? And I said, well, basically, because the Bible does, amen. Uh, by the way, Jesus got baptized. John the Baptist baptized people. The Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved and got baptized. Preacher said to me one time, Pastor, how in the world would you baptize 3,000 people in one day? And I said, Would to God the problem, amen? Oh, we get it done some way, okay? Baptizing them. Now, baptism has absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. You're saved by grace through faith, not a work. Baptism is a works. You're not saved by baptism. But it identifies you with a body of believers. And it lets the world know, I'm taking my stand with Jesus. It's uh, like a wedding ring. Oh, I don't want to lose that. It's a wedding ring. That, that placed on my finger many, many years ago. Did that make me married? No. It just shows that I am married. Right. And that's what baptism. I belong to the Lord. I believe what a body of people believe. 
I'm a part of the church. Baptized. Then, look, he, he uses the word teaching again, okay? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them. In other words, a missionary goes to the mission field. Uh, you, you start a church, and uh, then you teach the people that you have won and disciple to go and do that same thing somewhere else. Teaching them to observe all things. You know, since that's true, we have biblical Christianity today. Paul said to Timothy, the things now he's heard of men among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy taught others. The ones that Timothy taught, taught others. And it come all the way down to us. And it's our job as a church, to teach others to do what God has taught us to do. Let's end with a little bit of practical aspect. How can I, an individual, uh, could urge you take it personally, could urge you doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how old you are. Could I urge you to assume the responsibility of carrying out the Great Commission? Now I'm going to give you three words. They're nothing new. But I, I well remember the man that preached my ordination service in 1956. That's a long, a lot of years ago, amen. 1956. He was preaching from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Preached the word, be instant, in season, out of season. He looked down at me and he said, Don, preach the word. If it's new, it isn't true. If it's true, it isn't new. We don't need something new. We just need to keep preaching. Thus says the word of God. So here's the three words. Every one of us, myself, you, no matter who you are, we must, number one, go. We must go. Gospel, G-O. Gospel. Now, I don't mean we all have to go to the mission field. Probably some of you are, too. Maybe this week, God will deal with some of you to go to some of the great unevangelized areas of the world and preach the gospel. But all of us ought to go somewhere. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me 
both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. All of us ought to be going somewhere. Maybe next door to some uh, next room, somebody in your home. Maybe next door to a neighbor. Maybe across town. Maybe on the other side of the world. But everybody ought to be going somewhere. Number two, we must all pray. We must all pray. First Peter, Peter tells us that we are a chosen generation of royal priesthood. You know what that means? We're part of the family of God. And we have an opportunity to go to him at any time. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeding of our infirmities. Who is in all manner tempted, even as we are, yet without sin. And then he says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, find grace to help in a time of need. Question. Are we living in a time of need? Then let us come boldly. Pray. We must pray. Then we must all give. We'll say more about this, but 2 Corinthians 9, 7, talking about faith promise giving, he makes this statement. Every man, according as he purposeth, in his heart, so let him give. So in closing tonight, here's the question. Am I going? We all ought to go someplace. Am I praying? We talk a lot about praying. We preach a lot about praying. We teach a lot about praying. The only problem is, most of us don't do a whole lot of praying. Am I praying? Then the question, am I giving? Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. We all have the same privilege and the same responsibility as did this first century group of disciples. Let's pray together, Pastor. Father, we've heard a great challenge already on the first night. We thank you for the clear presentation of your word tonight to our hearts. You gave the commission to your disciples couple thousand years ago and the commission hasn't changed for us today I thank you that you're with us today just as you were with them and as they went out not even sure what they were doing at first Lord as the Holy Ghost came upon them they went out and and preached and shared the good news of Jesus Christ and thousands were saved and 
churches were established and your word did spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost part of the earth. Lord, we're part of that same commission. You've commissioned us as well. Lord, I pray that tonight as your word has been preached that we would respond to it now in obedience and faithfulness, Lord, because you have given us so much. You loved us first. You sent Christ to die for our sins. Lord, you've planned out your perfect plan for our lives. You've equipped us and enabled us and empowered us to do your work. Lord, we just need to be obedient and walk by faith. Help us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.